Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. Britain, I'm and. Get it? Because the movie's done out of sequence. Yeah. No, I'm Britain. Hey, everybody. Hey. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> thank you for being. Thank you for your manners. <laughs> we're watching. We watch. Nice to know, like somebody's been someplace before. Memento. Memento by Christopher Nolan. Yeah, we're continuing our our Christopher Nolan uh, series, and uh, we did. This was kind of his first. Like, put him on the map. I think got his first Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a big one. Yeah, as a reminder, we're we're tackling the Christopher Nolan movies, at least the non-Batman ones, as if it were a franchise, because he is kind of a franchise in and of himself. You can sell a movie on just his name, and people will be interested, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love going to Universal Studios and all, seeing all the Christopher Nolan rides and games. <laughs> Remember when Burger King had the Christopher Nolan Happy Meal toys? Look, if there is not an executive at Universal Studios or... I guess... The problem is that, I guess, Warner Brothers... for the Oppenheimer roller coaster. Right. Like, like Nolan Nolan is Warner Brothers. Is Scorsese... Nolan's not Warner Brothers anymore. Sure, but I mean, traditionally... Uh, Scorsese is is he kind of all over the map? Does he work? Scorsese with is whoever will actually fund because, his movie. <laughs> because if there's not an executive for some theme park somewhere who is who has not at least pitched the idea, sure, of making a Martin Scorsese theme park ride, <laughs> then I don't know what we're doing. You're just going through a we've, kitchen. We, we've done like a bit about this. I think we've done a we've done a joke yeah. back in the day. There's no. It was probably on like Game of Thrones season seven or whatever. I don't I don't know what podcast that was, but. I'm revisiting that idea to say, in all seriousness, someone should get should get a little PR boost by making a director's corner and uh, getting some deals with the likeness of Scorsese, Nolan, and probably not Quentin Tarantino. It's probably not yeah the person you want <laughs> to be advertising for on your family-oriented theme park. Uh, Kelly Reichardt. Yeah. Just a nice lady who's like, why am I here? <laughs> you, It's a gentle uh, raft yes. ride. But that is nevertheless down. profound. Yes, a quaint 1800s village. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and you get cake that tastes like London. It's great. Yeah. Um, and there's one cow. There's one cow. Alex, tell us about Pimento. <laughs> I was going to make a joke that I couldn't even remember it. And like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah you, yeah, we're good. No, that's uh, funny. You got, I, the, yeah, you, oh, you don't actually have to execute that. You can just, like, the... I, I feel like our, our joke meter is already too high. I've got to let it, you know, <laughs> sure. rest for a little bit. Got to temper it with some, with some grounded seriousness. Yeah, with some with some uh, sweet, sweet information. So memento. Uh, some sweet honeyed math. Can I make a tomato soup? Yeah. It is a film from 2000 directed by Christopher Nolan, and it has a 93% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 94% audience <laughs> score. Oh. Okay. I'm moving for the people. 
I mean, really. And the critics. I imagine a lot of hoodies were worn while giving the, those those ratings. Um, <laughs> by the critics, A.O. Scott specifically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Richard Roper. Richard Roper was the other one I was thinking of. Uh, that's a funny image. Yeah, Memento. <laughs> this is a big movie, um, but also kind of a little movie. And what is that movie mm-hmm. about? Well, the uh, synopsis for Memento reads thus. Leonard is tracking down the man who raped him. (laughs) 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 Who's the hero of your movie? Leonard. (laughs) (laughs) It's the the seriousness of the line immediately following and the subsequent (laughs) breakdown that really does it for me. Yeah, it's the, uh, this is a twisted episode of Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Okay, but Leonard is tracking down the man who murdered his wife. The difficulty, however, of locating his wife's killer is compounded by the fact that he suffers from a rare, untreatable form of memory loss. Although he can recall details of life before his accident, Leonard cannot remember what happened 15 minutes ago, where he's going, or why. Mm. Now this is, and I, is this a, a, I know short-term memory loss is a real thing, but is his specific condition an actual condition? In the real world, do we know? I don't. Or is it one of those think, Joker illnesses? I I don't think it's it would there. I don't think there would be a way for the specific circumstances of the movie to sure. happen and for the character to be affected in that way. Like I don't. I don't think there's cases of that specifically occurring and like being scientifically investigated for accuracy like, yeah, I, yeah. it's it's definitely embellished sure, i think it's not sure. totally ridiculous but it's definitely played up for the the structure of the movie right right okay um i really liked this one i have to say i i had never seen it before and i really liked it um i by the end of the movie it had really sunk in how like there's not really likable people in it and it's just kind of a depressing mm-hmm. uh like Oh, I just kind of, ooh. But I like the way it's made very much. Um, Mm -hmm. And I believe it was his first time uh, teaming up with Wally Pfister. And I just, I really like the way Pfister shoots movies. Like, this has that crispness that his his movies have. Like, it just looks really good. Um, Some of that may just be the restoration on Max, but still, like, I I really like Mm -hmm. looking at it. I don't know what Pfister's been doing, so. He also does a bunch of handheld without it being yes. like shaky cam mm-hmm. until you get to Batman Begins and there's a, a little bit, a little bit of that. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating just how much of a stepping stone following feels mm-hmm. to yeah. this. Like it really just feels like a more contained version of this, where it's like, yeah, there's he, certainly lower budget. There's not as many elements at play, but he's messing with the non-linear kind of timeline um and this one is just like oh i've got money now all right let me show you what i really got (laughs) yeah it really is a flushing out of that same idea but also creating a premise that is more compelling Mm -hmm. for making the structure so weird yeah yeah we're following is kind of like all right well this is a neat experiment to tell a story in a different way and kind of hide your reveals about the plot twist that way this is like, oh, there's actually a very good 
uh, plot reason to be making the audience this disoriented. Uh, and that was something I'd seen the movie before a while back. Rewatching it this time, it really worked for me in that way and the way that it evokes the feeling of constantly scrambling to piece together what just happened and mm-hmm. use that to connect the dots to the next thing and just generally feeling like you you are having to grasp every single thing because if you miss anything then you're gonna miss a lot yeah. <laughs> like it that i that really worked uh effectively for me this time around where i think on a first watch it's it's harder to pick up on that in britain was this the first time you've mm-hmm. seen yeah. it ever first time, yeah. i don't know how how that worked for you yeah, it definitely worked for me. I still had to look up the ending to make sure I had it right. Yeah. Um, and I'll also say, I think that the story, up until the ending, the story is fairly simple. It's the way it's told that's so compelling. But then once you get to the ending and you real the ending of the movie and you realize, oh, I they deliberately mis misdirected what I thought was the conclusion of the story. Mm-hmm. Um. And then when you realize what the story actually is and how everything loops back together, it's that makes the whole story a lot more interesting. That it's not just a simple revenge plot. Um, I so that I thought was was really neat. I want to say this is a movie I respect more than I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it is a monumental achievement that he was able to do this. Yeah, it, it almost feels like you're hanging out with some friends at a bar. And you're like, yeah, I'm I'm a director now. I'm a hotshot. My last movie, you know, is a big deal. Went went to some festivals and things. And they're like, all right, all right, hotshot. I dare you to make a movie backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Nolan's like, backwards, you say. And like that is as accessible as it is is such an yeah. accomplishment. And obviously, he he threads in the black and white sequences to kind of like, okay, we are now stepping out of this, and he still gives you a little bit of the beginning of the previous scene at the end of the following one to give you some some mm-hmm. connection like it's it's just very cleverly edited <clears throat> and i i think the biggest thing that impresses me about this is just how information is doled out to the audience yeah it's just it's amazing how having the story told backwards you're able to give bits of exposition that you know if you're making a normal movie you you tell it the reverse way um and like yeah just the fact that i i this is i think either my second or third time seeing it and i i really felt like yeah i i am connecting all the dots and i'm not really losing anything at least anything major i'm sure there's still small little details here and there um but just communication is is key with this movie and i think it's very effective in in kind of letting you know what's going on um and like you said tyler even if you're kind of in a very hectic headspace of like wait what just happened where am i at whatever i think the movie is very quick to kind of ground you and yeah. make sure that you you kind of know where you are when it gets to like the next scene that leonard is kind of having to um kind of go through uh but yeah i i don't like i said i i respect it more than i like it I think the twist is kind of brilliant at the end, mm, yeah. but I don't like Leonard and I kind of just hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this time around, so I almost want to start from the ending <laughs> and, and work our way, yeah. work our way back through. Um, 
because the, the entire movie has this sense of it's really interesting how the movie has to play with dramatic irony uh where you know normally you're watching a movie uh, character does one thing later on there's another scene where another character is talking about something and you realize oh ho ho they don't know that this guy over here did this thing um where this is there's something that we know happens farther in the future but as we're going backwards we reveal things that the character really needed to know and did not know because of his condition so like he missed we know like oh snap he he messed that up like he doesn't know about this he doesn't know what this character was trying to do um it's really it's really interesting and that obviously culminates in the ending of the movie being basically we find out the entire time he's had uh this uh photo of teddy who is somebody who we eventually learn is a cop theoretically probably um and he has written on this photo do not don't believe his lies and that sort of sets him on a path to uh eventually decide that teddy is the one who killed his wife uh, and sexually assaulted her because he is making this message that he knows is not correct but he knows if he writes it then in the future he will trust that so he's going to to use that to kind of manipulate himself uh to eventually kill teddy which is the first scene we see in the movie is him shooting teddy um that is really interesting and the first time I watched it, that that's the reason he does that is because Teddy is basically saying, "Hey, all this stuff you you think you know is a lie. You don't know that, or you actually were the one who killed your wife because there's the the story you've been telling about uh, a a guy who had a condition like this that's actually about you, and you killed your wife because you gave her too many diabetes shots, um, diabetes shots gave you too many insulin because she had diabetes." Um, and, uh, he's saying, oh, you already killed John G. Like you already, you already got the guy that you were trying to kill in the first place. Uh, and basically is saying everything that we have seen him working towards the whole movie is a total fabrication. His memory's terrible and he's actually made all, all this stuff. And the, the first time around I was watching it and I was like, I don't. I don't like the fact that that's the the big reveal. Like I, you know, I don't know. It, something feels off to me. And I realized more watching this time that the movie is very much about the infallibility of memory beyond just his condition. That was something that had not really clicked to me for me on the first viewing. It's like the entire movie is, or the entire uh, revenge plot for Leonard is predicated on the fact that he thinks that there is a second guy in his in his bathroom. Um, when his, his wife was murdered and he, uh, basically he shot one guy and then he got hit in the head, uh, while he was looking at his wife. And so he's like, there had to have been a second guy. Um, and that is also the, the moment where he gets hit, he gets smashed, his head smashed on the mirror. So already that incident is, is colored in a way that's like, he thinks it's this way. He doesn't really have proof you know, it's possible that he shot the guy and the guy still was able to hit him or like we, the way it's shot, we don't actually see visual confirmation, right? Yeah. There were two guys. He's totally right. He's in the clear. And then the movie also warps his memories over time, uh, just with random flashbacks. And then when Teddy's explaining all this, it starts inserting flashbacks of him, maybe giving his wife insulin and he's 
thinking back, like, no, I, I just pinched her. Like, it, it wasn't a shot. I, that's all it was. My wife didn't have diabetes. And that is really brilliant. And I think landed home for me a lot more that basically he's in a position where he can't trust anything because memory is not as reliable as we think it is. And he says that at one point during the movie, like, well, you know, even long-term memory can be manipulated. Like he he's aware of gaps that could be happening in his system, but he also kind of has a blind spot about his own confidence and his own ability to make the system work for him that he doesn't believe he could be manipulated and he doesn't believe that he could be on the wrong track and he doesn't maybe he did kill the actual guy who was a killer and there was a second guy and he's totally forgotten about all that because it happened in his memories or maybe this cop has just been manipulating them him the whole time to get him to kill random guys <laughs> the cop one's dead because that's clearly what happens with uh jimmy grant who's tied into uh carrie Ann moss's character and we'll get into that but like that whole revelation hit me at once of just okay the, no the whole movie is talking about how unstable his entire life is and basically he is creating his own narrative to follow and just saying i e even though at one point in the movie i think in that final scene he says well it's important to me and i would know if i got the killer it's you know i can't just kill a random guy it has to be the guy and i'll know when it happens and then teddy's like well you already did it i i'm i'm gonna tell you that this is what happened so then yeah. he literally makes up and and frames this guy himself by using the fact that he knows he won't remember that he he set him and set himself in that direction it's so bonkers and interesting <clears throat> and i think just a really compelling way to end the movie because it just gets you thinking about how completely it's it's the ultimate unreliable narrator um kind of idea and i think that is very very interesting especially rewatching it and seeing just how many people are able to kind of weave in between yeah uh the system that he has made to make sure he, he can't slip up and to make sure that he has this perfect approach uh, as he's going through these segments of, of losing his memory um i don't know it's it's such a it's such a compelling watch it's a really fascinating movie and this time around that really that angle really opened up for me so did now i'm confused did his wife <laughs> get die from the die from the insulin shots or was she murdered we so it's either one of them well that so that's the thing is like the black and white sections he is telling the story of sammy Jen, jenkins jenkins yeah. um what's that actor's name steven tobolowski yes yes from deadwood uh, great yeah yes. there you go um, he's telling the story of this guy that he investigated as an insurance investigator and he had the same condition, but like even worse. And so his, his wife did not believe that he really did not believe that it was, a, it was a physical thing. Uh, she ultimately becomes convinced that he actually could be snapped out of it. So she makes him give him three insulin shots in a row and then, and that kills her. And then later, towards the end of the movie, Teddy says, oh, actually, your wife survived the assault. You killed her with the insulin shots. Like, it's all, you know, totally, like, you've made all this up. We we tracked down the guy right. after your wife died. We we tracked down the, the guy who started all this. Uh, we killed him. You're all in the clear. You, you're, I'm just, you know, 
I just point happened to point you at another guy to make you happy. <laughs> Not no no personal gain involved. Um so that and there's there's scenes during that that's where we get the like flashbacks that are bouncing between did he give his wife a shot or right, right. was he just messing with her? Um so that's like I my read is that the movie is not preventing a concrete presenting a concrete like answer because Teddy the entire time is manipulating Leonard uh, specifically kind of around the car. There's several pieces where he's trying to get the car from Teddy or car from Leonard because the car is where Jimmy Grant had all his money stored. Um, There's a lot of little bits that I caught around this time because I knew what to look for. And I knew I was like trying to figure out, is this guy supposed to be trustworthy? Is Uh he supposed to be a good guy the whole time? And he's definitely not. (laughs) I would argue he's lying about like, he says he doesn't, or he said, uh, Natalie wouldn't know me when she clearly did. And he, there's a, there's a really interesting little touch that is kind of a blink and you'll miss a thing where they're standing outside the motel, uh, at a point later in the movie before he leaves the motel. And then Teddy sends him, I think that's when he gets a second room mm-hmm. is later on. Uh, and so when, uh, when Leonard takes his photo to the photo that he's going to use, <clears throat> um, he Teddy is like, Oh, not right here. Move over here and moves him around to get, to get like a more nondescript background. And you see later that there's a very specific, I think it's like a, uh, maybe a vending machine or something like that. Uh, and the idea was, Oh, he didn't want him to realize he'd been to this location before. Oh, gotcha later in the future. Like th- there's so many w- crazy little details like that. It's, it's such a uh, standing in front of the cork board with all this, the yarn right, and right. postcards, like, like trying to connect all these dots because it's just insane. And I think ultimately th- this time around, my takeaway was definitely that kind of everyone in Leonard's life is manipulating him to the point where th- he has no real control Aside from the fact that he does kind of, I mean, he, he incepts himself yeah. <laughs> to yeah. uh, foreshadow a later movie that we'll get to that is, you know, kind of uses some similar elements, I think, of he basically says, okay, I'm just going to tell myself uh, in the future that I should uh, be against this guy. This guy is, is a problem um, because it's, the you know, I, I have really have no idea where I'm at in life anymore. I don't know what I've done and haven't done. So I'm just going to take control and do it that way. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really, really interesting, I think. There's a very, very quick moment um, during the one of the Sammy Jenkins sections where he's sitting in um, an old folks home or like an assisted living mm-hmm. place. Um, and like a nurse or somebody walks by him passes over the frame and then for a split second Leonard is sitting there mm. oh. and I don't know what that's supposed to mean right. yeah it, if it means like somehow he escaped the assisted living facility and then met Teddy and went on this rampage um, or if that's supposed to be some kind of like that's actually what is going to happen to him in the future that's where he'll end up I don't know right but I, I yeah. noticed that this time I was like they fight clubbed huh. it <laughs> huh it's a split frame. I saw that. <laughs> that's really interesting. I missed that. And I think that's like basically the entire 
early part of the movie, Leonard is trying to explain to people, oh yeah, I've got the system. Um, I remember everything before the accident. You know, I know what I'm doing. And then the holes just continue to get poked in his entire narrative and his entire worldview. Yeah. And because the, the revelations or lies or whatever they are from Teddy come at the end of the movie, he doesn't remember any of that. He still thinks his system is great and there are no problems. I love how Leonard is constantly like, I am good at reading people. I am good at looking at faces and I need to talk to people in person to be able to read them. And it's like, you're clueless, man. Yeah. You're to, to, to quote Mr. White, you're you're a kite dancing in a hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like. I, I think this is the movie's brilliant, just in terms of how it's structured. I just, I don't know, just just something about the ending. Like, I, I get like thematically how it all connects and it all makes sense and it works. It's just on on a personal level, I don't really care for it. I think it is one of those like, well, oh, what great storytelling. Oh, I feel bad because of it. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like Guy Pearce in this movie. Mm-hmm. Guy Pierce is really good just in general. He's just a very, very yeah. good actor. Um, but I, I, it, it's a kind of a big performance, not like crazy, but he's, he's like going for it. it it's a very mm-hmm. active performance. Yeah. Um, and the hair and everything, but I thought he was really, really great in it. The everyone in it is really good. Joey Pants is in there, Joey Pantoliano. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm a big Stephen Tobolowsky fan. I love Harriet Harris from Frasier and Werewolf by Night. Um, always good to see her carrie ann moss is really good even if i mm-hmm. she has my least favorite scene in the movie where she yells the r word about 17 sure. times which i didn't like that but also i understand the movie is painting it as she is trying to upset him yes and also the more we learn she is a bad guy <laughs> so it all kind of like yeah. it all it all you know it, okay i still didn't like hearing it but i like seeing carrie ann moss again mm-hmm Watching it this time around, it really made it more clear to me, like, okay, Natalie and Teddy are, basically, Teddy has gotten Natalie's husband killed Mm -hmm. because he was a drug dealer. Maybe it's because Teddy is just a cop trying to uh, use this guy because he knows he can kind of circumvent. Do we ever see a badge from Teddy? He shows uh, Leonard... Yeah, we we don't see it's like, yeah, we don't know what it is. We don't we you know, it's not a close up of like, oh, is this something that like looks clearly it could be a total totally a forgery. He he got a little uh, aluminum like sheriff star from like the dollar store or something. (laughs) He's got the Doctor Who pad. But (laughs) something that makes Leonard go, oh, wow, you are a cop. Which again, Leonard, you know, (laughs) Leonard, Leonard, (laughs) um. But yeah, it, the the movie is really the everything from that point of after he kills Jimmy Grant is basically a, a sort of sequence of Natalie and Teddy using well, Teddy at this point is now just trying to get him to get out of town because he's driving a drug dealer's car that he uh killed basically like he stole his, he killed him and stole his car. Yeah. And there's also a bunch of money in the back that he's forgotten about apparently. <laughs> And uh, Teddy's trying to get that car back and he's trying to make him get out of town and just generally is like, I am concerned about your presence here and I don't like it. 
<laughs> I abused you, and now I am worried that <laughs> this is going to end badly for me. Um, and Natalie is very much trying to get to use Leonard to get rid of. She she tries to use him to get rid of Dodd, who's kind of an extra character who's caught up in this thing. Uh, not totally clear where what his whole deal is, but he gets beaten up and uh, tied up in Leonard's closet. Um, and then. I don't know, what do they end up, even end up doing with him? I think they just leave him in there because it's technically his room. Well, they, Leonard suggests that, and then Teddy's like, oh, no, we can't do that because housekeeping will find him. And I don't actually remember where that thread goes <laughs> or went because it would have happened. You know, I'm not sure. How many times do they go to the abandoned? Um... I think it's only twice. Yeah. The warehouse. Yeah. I don't remember what happens to Dodd. I think they just leave him in the in the in the closet, don't they? I guess they I guess they just like have an argument and then get distracted and Yeah. Start to try to figure out their way out and then Yeah. I think so because yeah, we never see any We don't we yeah, we find out that he's in the closet and how he got there, but we don't <laughs> we yeah. don't know anything else. Interesting. Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, I I remember. They 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 threaten him. A lot of it happens off screen, but they take him out of the hotel room by gunpoint, and then right, Leonard's right. like, "I'm gonna threaten him and make him leave town." And then he's like, "Yeah, I made him leave town." Okay, so that's that's it. They let him yeah. go. Okay. Um, but yeah, Natalie uses him to get rid of uses Leonard to get rid of Dodd, uh, and then she targets Leonard against Teddy, basically. Uh, and Teddy's own kind of writings and things that he's done point him towards uh, killing Teddy as well. So basically both of these characters have kind of just seen an opportunity and started using him. Um, Teddy says he's been hanging out with Leonard for years now. <laughs> uh, and they've yeah. just been wandering around uh, <laughs> extrajudicially murdering people. Like sure. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I liked how I liked that turn because for most of the movie, I at least I went under the impression that Teddy is using. It, it, I I always knew he was manipulating Leonard, but I thought he was manipulating Leonard to clear himself of the crime he had committed against Leonard's mm -hmm. wife, because we are led to believe that Teddy is the killer, and then we find out that Teddy is not, and he's actually yeah. just a perhaps crooked cop. Yeah, but. He is innocent of of this act, um, whatever it was. He didn't do it. Um, so yeah, I it, yeah, it just adds this like sadness to it. Not sadness in terms of like, oh, Teddy really was trying to help him. Was actually this great guy because he wasn't. He was taking advantage of him. Yeah, but it's still like, oh wait, <laughs> yeah. His actions do have consequences. That they do. Um, I did want to point out Mark Boone Jr. Yeah. as Bert. Mm -hmm. He shows up in Batman Begins. He is Detective mm. Glass. He's also a son of anarchy, I believe. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. From the TV show Lipstick Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom um, Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a there's an interesting wrinkle with him where he tells 
Leonard at one point that he booked Leonard two rooms because he knew Leonard wouldn't remember. Yeah. Because, like, his boss told him to. We also learn later that Teddy got him to go back to that motel again, which means, theoretically, he wouldn't have seen all the stuff he left in his other room. So there's an interesting angle there of, like, are they... Is Teddy working with Bert at all, or was it just a happy circumstance that he got him to think there was a brand new room and that he'd never been there before? The, he's he's kind of a, a a gray, shaky character in terms of what he was really thinking the entire time, and if he was trying to really really just trying to steal some extra money from Leonard, or if there was something more going on there. Yeah, just neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there's a scene where uh, he hires an escort to, yeah, basically recreate. Yeah, get get him. Get... It's not entirely clear, <laughs> to be honest. What I think what he's, he's trying to do? Trying to like f- remember because he 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 gives her a bunch of his wife's possessions. And then says, just kind of scatter these around like these are yours. You don't wear them, don't use them, just kind of have them around. Yeah. And then wait for me to fall asleep and then slam the bathroom door. Because I guess he's trying to recreate his last memory before what either what did happen or what he thinks happened. Where his wife was found in the bathroom. Yeah, I think he's trying to just find some happiness in this very, very depressing existence that he lives in. Like have the experience of waking up and thinking his wife is still alive, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, if there's an angle of that, if he's trying to remember, like there's more that he's trying to remember. He's trying to kind of, you know, kickstart his brain. That's an yeah, it's possible. Interesting thing, because he doesn't really explain that, I don't think. He then goes and burns all the items in kind of a ritual, and that's about all we get of it. Um, I love just a lot of the little details and this is kind of where i think nolan excels a lot in his movies when he's trying to make them grounded he likes really focusing on little details and things characters do in order to execute certain things um the evolution of the tattoos is really really interesting yes um i like how we're getting the flashback where he's just talking about sammy jenkins and he's just like doing the tattoos himself Mm -hmm. yeah and it's that that freaked me out because I, sure. I have a fear of needles, <laughs> but it was really really cool. <laughs> yeah, um, it it was kind of interesting how some of them are reversed, so he can see them more easily in the mirror, mm-hmm. and some of them aren't. Um, I don't know if that's just like what he got at the tattoo parlor versus what he did himself, or how. It doesn't really matter, but I thought that was interesting. One that you think when he has across his clavicle that John G. Ripton killed my wife. At first, you think that's his, like, yeah, that's my reminder. That's the thing that's going to keep me going. And then you find out he actually got it because it's, it's like his trophy for having killed John G. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Was, there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot of small stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I also liked how just kind of snarky and quippy the dialogue could be at points um like the bit where he's running away and he he doesn't know why he's like all right who am i chasing 
<laughs> and then and then Dodd like starts shooting at him. He's like, "All right, who's chasing me?" <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. This is some of the most effective narration. Yes, I've ever seen in a movie. I would agree. Uh, because I think, and I think it's necessary to kind of ground you for. All right, what what's Leonard thinking right now? What does he remember? You know, what's confusing him? Like that that I think all is very effective. But I think it it's it's good work from Guy Pierce on just making that uh, feel natural. Uh, that's always tricky, as we've talked about with. Blade Runner and maybe other films, I don't know. Uh but I think it's uh it's smartly used here. Yeah. I don't I, know I, who uh, attacked <laughs> and killed my wife. <laughs> maybe I don't they know. were just having a bad day. <laughs> I don't know why sad Bill at the bar was laughing at me when I took that drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Karen Moss is really mean in this movie. Mm-hmm. But, but she's she good. is really, really good. Like but she's really good at it. It's just, it's just <clears> funny because <throat> right around this time, they probably would have started shooting um, the Matrix sequels, mm-hmm. or probably shortly oh, after yeah. this released. And just like there's a there, there are some good performances in the Matrix sequels. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, but but obviously they're getting a different type of direction. Right. Right. And like she, I, I feel like this is an opportunity where she is really allowed to be emotional and kind of mm-hmm. go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, both in terms of she is feigning symp- sympathy for Leonard, but I-, I think she does a really good job of selling it. And then when she does the heel turn of starting to yell at him and then you yeah. realize, oh, she's actually manipulating him from this point forward. Um, I think yeah. she sells all of that really, really well. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's using your actors. <laughs> no, totally. Yep. There's a, the, the point right after the, that scene where he punches her so that she looks bruised, she walks out, and then she just sits in her car and stares him down, yeah. kind of waiting for him to like reset. lose track of what he's doing after she's stolen all the pins from the house. Mm-hmm. Um, him scrambling for a pin is one of the most tense things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you, because like you, it's a, another blink and you'll miss it thing, but she, she sleeps, she slips all the pins from her like nightstand into her purse um and that's yeah it, it's just really good detail about she knows exactly what she's doing here and then of course she goes out and then comes back in and it's like dodd hit me you have to go kill him yeah um it's it's really good they also have the first time we see her they they have a scene in a diner it's not <laughs> fine dining like True. i uh hypothesized <laughs> last week but there is a scene where they they sit down for lunch at a diner, That's and I point. do think that is something that Christopher Nolan just likes to have in every movie. He thinks there should always be a little bit of exposition given <laughs> over uh, a a table in a restaurant. I am gonna have to. That's our. Uh, how many times they say Fantastic Four? I think yeah. I think I m- mentioned that or I thought about that last week because mm, that is. Yeah. I think that we should start tracking it completely. I was trying to think if there was one in Dark Knight Rises and yep there's well no no there's not there's not there's not like a formal like we sit down and have a meal and talk scene but there are like party sequences where people are eating there's a very obvious one you're missing in dark knight rises what is it when they go to jack in the box and uh bane is like (laughs) 
I can have tacos not, and not, chicken. Look, Bat, we, we seeded this back in 95. <clears throat> Batman said he was getting drive-thru. He didn't say when he was getting drive-thru. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, not, not, not dialogue over a table, but there is a very important scene of them dining in a restaurant at the very end of the movie. And also in a daydream that Michael Caine has in the middle of the movie. Yeah, I guess you're right. Are, are they... Do they technically have food at that point? I think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do. Nolan's not going to set up a table and not put some food on it. That's true. <laughs> the man knows. True. I actually don't know if they eat anything at the diner at this one. But, uh, I think that there's just something there. You know, I know it's not like... It's not the, mo- it's not the craziest thing for, uh, you know, a movie to have characters sitting at a, right. in, in a restaurant and you know something being some information being communicated to the audience through that but yeah it's gonna be real weird when we when we watch the extended cut of dunkirk and just halfway through tom hardy's just sitting in a diner just like having (laughs) a cup of coffee in the cockpit of his plane he pulls out some bagel bites (laughs) is there not a scene in a mess hall and he tries to push him through the mask the flight mask is there is there is there not a scene scene scene. that's right that's right we'll find out the man the man is he just wants to make sure that you yeah. know the characters are eating i actually think it's it's neat it's yeah. it's like a good that's a good little like oh you all you know you, you could see that being given as a piece of advice uh from a sure. you know a, a director in a um in a master class of like oh well i always make sure that i have a, a scene where the characters are sitting down and eating because i think you know that's a very natural thing that humans do so i want to make sure that <laughs> my characters feel grounded that way like I, that, yeah. that feels like a little uh checkbox kind of thing that you might do to um give your characters a second to breathe and think but yeah, yeah. i think it's a <clears throat> well you know quentin has his sort of approach where there's always characters looking down and the camera's looking up at them as they look at diamonds or hot wheels or whatever's in the car i don't didn't finish the movie um, and I, I realized that he had this sort of motif and I thought that was so stupid. What a dumb thing to, how often do you just look at, stare at something and compare that to how often you eat things? No, no, no think about, really think about that. Mr. Lipton, please, I'm not done talking to my students. <laughs> I really like the idea that Christopher Nolan thinks the suitcase in Pulp Fiction is full of Hot Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it could be anything. Schrodinger's, I mean, it's Schrodinger's car. I don't care. Point being, everybody's got their thing. Tarantino's got people looking down at something. Terrence Malick's got, I don't even know where to start with that. And I'm getting more and more working classes as it goes on. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Mary Poppins. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the little bit of Here Come the Sequels Theater. Mm-hmm. Very good. Roll on, Snare Jump. Uh, what else do we have going on? One thing about Memento, <laughs> I will say. Uh, I mean, I got a few days off of work, so I'm probably going to, you know, catch up on some stuff, <laughs> some, some reading, start a new book. Eat? Yeah. Maybe eat a little? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Next time we go out to dinner, let's just like really knowingly look at the, the server and be like, get it? <laughs> do you get it? It's like in the movies. (laughs) And they're going to be like, this is an Arby's, sir. (laughs) And we're closed. (laughs) We're closed. (laughs) I also also quite love the idea of a a scene in Oppenheimer 
uh, involving two characters sitting down at one of the first Arby's. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if they, I don't know if Arby's existed or had mozzarella sticks in the fifties or forties, but I hope it did. <laughs> and then Oppenheimer's like, "Hey, listen, I speaking of explosions." <laughs> speaking of just decimating a contained area <laughs> one thing about memento yes uh is that it is oh are you sure you didn't want to carry on with that Tyler? you didn't want to yeah, keep sure. doing national lampoons oppenheimer yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to it i'm okay. sh- i'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities okay, there's, there's a great to... part where he goes to fort lauderdale in spring break <laughs> yeah to speculate on what happens in Oppenheimer and be wrong about it, probably. Exactly. It, it was um, the best Justin Long performance I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> National love- Lampoon's Van Wilder, the rise of the nuclear bomb. <laughs> I, I, lo- <laughs> I, I need, I need the, uh, what's the Ashton Kutcher? Is it the Ashton Kutcher, Steve Jobs movie, Steve Jobs? Yes. Versus the Fassbender one. That's no, just, no, no, no. Uh, or is the other way around? Kutcher is oh, Jobs. Yep. Fassbender is Steve Jobs. Yeah. Yes, I, I really need to see uh, Robert Oppenheimer, the Justin Long biopic that comes out suspiciously suspiciously close to uh, Christopher Nolan's biopic. <laughs> but that one's directed by, uh, oh, I don't know. Michael Bay, probably. Um <laughs> Memento is under two hours, and I appreciate that. Yes. I finished this movie at like 10.30, and I was like, oh man, I got time to breathe. <laughs> Not, well, I, I did have this revelation. I was looking ahead, and, and definitely uh, Nolan continues to kind of go off the rails from here straight through to Interstellar. Uh, there is a very consistent... Uh, increase until we get interstellar ray movie that is uh at least or yeah i guess it would be two interstellar is longer than than two followings i guess is how i could put it (laughs) um so so he doubles the the length here going from following to interstellar uh and then gets a little more standardized in the last few movies he's made but that is something we will trace because it's it's very interesting. I think in the in the very silly bit a second ago we mentioned Tarantino. Um, Tarantino is a guy that you can see how there's one very specific fixation for, uh, you know, up through Kill Bill. I think mm. going from uh, is Pulp Fiction his first movie. Am I missing one? Uh, Reservoir Dogs. There we go. Reservoir Dogs through Kill Bill. I think there's a very specific style and approach and idea there, and then you you see him kind of start experience. Like Kill Bill feels like him getting all of that out on the screen at once, and then it's like, all right, well, what do I do now? And then you get Inglorious Bastards and kind of get, turn into a little bit of a different thing than what a lot of those earlier movies were doing with kind of the very obsessed crime, violent, yeah, yeah, violent stuff. Um. I'll be curious to see if there feels like there's a break or just more of a, a general evolution with Nolan, because these first couple movies I'm, I'm very interested in insomnia next week as well. They're so tight and kind of shoestring and just 
making everything fit together like clockwork in the kind of most contained box possible. You know, we're working with a, a cast of what feels like five people in this movie. Uh, and the following obviously was three. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm very interested to see how that develops. And if it's like, is it just that he gets bigger budgets and bigger budgets and eventually just starts really going crazy with it? Or is there something, is there some specific point where it's like, okay, it seems like maybe he got something out of his system and now he's moving on to a whole new idea. I'm, I'm really curious to watch as that evolves because this so far is definitely a refinement of following (laughs) is basically what the movie is. Um, I'll be really curious to compare Tenet to this as well. <laughs> I feel like I need to make as little, as many little foreshadowings to Tenet as possible because that is really, that's really the eye on the prize here. Yeah, I want yeah. to talk about Tenet. Alex and I may just take that week off and let Tyler kind of go. <laughs> have his meanwhile, have his meanwhile, talk. I'm like, yeah, watch Tenet. I, f- I finally get it. <laughs> Time travel. Oh, 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 I'm not. <laughs> you come in, come in with these bags. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it all night. <laughs> I made drawings in the dirt. And I was I just get like, it. Robert Pattinson's Batman. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, Kenneth Branagh, he's got a point. <laughs> Time. And Time. Bullets. <laughs> and my Atmosphere. son. Airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think that movie has fine dining on a boat, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it does. Uh, one thing I did want to point out, I, I think there is either a story or a written by credit for his brother, Jonathan. Yes. Yeah, um, based on a story by. And I think that's, or by. that's a little inconsistent about which ones his brother has contributed to, right? Because I don't, I, I don't know if he did anything with Insomnia, and I don't believe he worked on Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. But then he worked with his brother on dark Knight, dark Knight rises and interstellar. And then I don't know after that. Mm-hmm. I assume well, after definitely that, not yeah. all of them because yeah, then Jonathan Nolan's on Westworld. Yeah. And probably tied up in that, not on Westworld, but working on Westworld. I don't know. I that, guess we'll keep an eye on. Just an observation I had. I just, there's nothing, there's nothing beyond it. Sorry. <laughs> we'll have to time we much like christopher nolan we will create a list of checks that must appear in the movie except these will be checks that must appear in our podcast when we talk about christopher nolan movies well i'm also going to be uh i i wonder if what wally fister has been up to because i don't know the last time he shot a movie i I think he did transcendence and then uh went home with his tail between his legs i just he's the movies he's dp for tend to look really good yes yes so, I'd like for him to come back and shoot something. Maybe Fast Eleven. Yeah, I think a I think Nolan might story. actually. I think they might actually give that to Nolan. Oh man, I'd I'd watch it. <laughs> you know they would give Peyton Reed the last Fast and Furious movie. Let's just let's just make all the mistakes. I I actually would really want that Nolan Fast Fast Eleven. That, that would be good because he would he would just he would turn that franchise into such a more interesting thing 
so quickly <laughs> so quickly it, he 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 would be, he'd be like oh you know in the last one they had all the young john cena flashbacks and they were jumping back and forth yeah i'm doing that but like on steroids like we're going to see yeah. like dom's father and we're getting his backstory and michael rooker's there for more because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. use your actors please um and then we're jumping into the far future and it's like the post-apocalypse and, and yeah, Dom has basically become Mad Max. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean... There's a little Tom Hardy cameo there. You yeah. Know? And standing outside the production office is still James Mangold with this script that says Old Man Dom. <laughs> <laughs> and shooing away certain producers like, not that kind of movie. And they said, uh, the second you said Dial of Destiny, we just pointed to the door. <laughs> it's called Dom of Destiny. <laughs> Fast and Furious should include time travel. Yes. Um, I'm also very excited for Christopher Nolan's Secret Wars. Do we have anything else to say about Memento? Huh? I did while during the opening credits. I kept going, oh, Mark Boone Jr. Oh, Callum Keith Rennie. Oh, Carrie Ann Moss. I don't know that guy's name. <laughs> There's only one actor I didn't recognize. Larry something. So that's just a little... After last week, not having any context yeah. for these actors, I just want to let everyone know, I'm still, I've still got it. Is it, is it that you didn't recognize his name just because you've never, you've never seen him in anything before? Or is it because you forgot? <gasps> Maybe that's why I haven't had as much to say this week and last week. I've got Leonard disease. Mm-hmm. Gerard Butler? <laughs> Gerard Butler? Oh, man. Secret Phantom PA Gerard Butler. Yeah. <laughs> still still appearing in, in on movie sets around the world. Yep. I uh I don't I don't know if there's anybody big name in Insomnia. I guess we'll find out. It's kind of like what on American Summer where it's like yeah. Oh, in a few years, these will all be like megastars. Yeah, but right now, yeah. it's just kind of a bunch of... Including Paul Rudd. Yeah. <laughs> who also has a scene where he throws a lunch tray in a really bratty way. God, who, who, do you, who do you think is the killer in Insomnia, Tyler? Come on. <laughs> it's right there. I hope it's Michael Myers. It's called you Insomnomania. Know, you know, if Paul Rudd were to show up in a Christopher Nolan movie, I would want him to give the performance that he gives in Halloween 6. I want him to bring yes. that kind yes, of energy. That's, that's accurate. On on this Halloween night, all of the stars will align, and then he will come out for blood. Then yeah. Robert Oppenheimer shows up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, are you giving it an A plus? I'm giving yes. it. A, I'm giving it an A minus. Uh, what? <laughs> I I don't know if I actually said the things that uh I guess I, I referenced that at the beginning. The so I think, you know, emotionally it is a movie that does not leave you in a very like Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Play it, it's a very interesting movie. I I agree to some extent that there's a, you know, respect if not love there. Mm-hmm. I think I it especially this rewatch, it worked on me a little bit more and, and got to me a little more of a like, okay, I this does really appeal to me and is, is really interesting just from a psychological perspective. I think my biggest thing is that there's a lot of work done to manipulate the situation so that uh, 
it, it can be in this position. Obviously the, the disease or the, the illness, I should say, is very uh, kind of calculated to result in, in what's happening to Leonard. Um, and there's a lot of stuff like we talked about the, the bit where Carrie Ann Moss spits in the um, mug and has the other bar patrons spit in the mug and has Leonard spit in the mug yeah. and then waits a beat and then goes and hands it to him. I think there's a lot of beats like that where it's not totally clear how other characters know that he has forgotten things. Right. Um, and there's kind of timings there that aren't lined up exactly. It's, it's very much kind of what the movie needs it to be. Um, and actually my biggest thing is the fact that he knows his condition. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure how he actually remembers that <laughs> the entire time. That was something that bothered me a little is at, at what point was he able to actually, start telling people about his condition. Right, right. And why doesn't he just forget about that? Yeah. I, I don't know, unless he conditioned himself for a year to just constantly think that. But he, uh, th there's definitely stretches in logic there that make it a little messy. And I think between that and the uh, the the fact that it is a uh, a downer, <laughs> right. yeah. uh, make it not quite hit for me on, on an A-plus range, I do think it's very good. I think there's a couple of things. Number one, we don't know how early on Teddy finds him because they have the picture at the end of uh, of Leonard getting his first tattoo and he's smiling and Teddy's like, yeah. I was there for that. Um, but then also uh, Leonard has the police report of what happened. Mm. Or... Is it a formal police report or is it like notes that he's just kind of scrounged together? Because theoretically that would give him the answers, right? Oh, yeah, it may just be. Well, the he talks about how there is a bunch of stuff redacted and removed. Right, right, right. From the, like, Which I would, I would out. guess Teddy probably manipulated all those files. And that's, there's a, they have the argument of uh, Teddy's like, you must have removed all those pages. I, you know, when I gave them to you, they were all full. And then oh, right, right. Leonard's right. like, no that must have been you uh and again it's he can't trust his own memory um it's really interesting but it is uh depressing <laughs> and i think has quite a bit of a stretch in the overall uh suspension of disbelief i guess to to make it all work um so you know i there's little things that that work against it for me. Uh, I still think it's a very good movie and very cool. A minus. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'll do B plus for a lot of the same reasons. I it doesn't necessarily make me f like feel feel good, but it also does because it's really well done. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. Good movie. I will give it an A minus as well. There you go. Like I said, I do think. Uh... It's a step above following. It's just like, and of course there, there's, he just has more resources to play right. with. So I don't mean to, to kind of, uh, give a backhanded compliment to following or anything. Cause like that, that is definitely good. But like you said last week, Britain, that has a, a very, uh, student film kind of vibe to mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Which mean, I mean, it works brilliantly in that format, but, um, this is kind of a completely different ballpark. And yeah, my reservations are really just, emotionally how i responded to the ending right. and i'm like yeah i get it didn't like it <laughs> so <clears throat> definitely yeah and i mean i think i mentioned this 
like his movies kind of get progressively more optimistic yeah. so it'll be yeah. it'll be kind of interesting another to thing see. to trace in his evolution yeah cool anybody got anything to recommend i watched jerry Maguire. oh uh, that was not what i thought you were going to say <laughs> i uh i don't know what drew me to it i just i'd seen people talking about it and i was like you know what never actually watched that movie i've never been shown that out. money yeah um that was and, a much more clever way of introducing that line than anything i could have come up with <laughs> i would have just been uh, like tyler say it <laughs> <laughs> I I really really liked it. Um, I did not realize how much it was. I for one, I didn't know the premise was that he was a uh, sports talent agent. Um, I did not realize how much it was really tied into specifically that industry and him trying to figure out a way to make something new happen in that industry uh, because he was tired of the way it was being run and the kind of greed and corporate approach to everything um and so that was kind of a total surprise but more than anything i was really shocked by how much it just drew me in i i think because all the characters feel like they are right on the edge of totally snapping (laughs) a lot of the movie like they are they're kind of they're pushed to their extremes in a very believable human way it's not a uh we're, we're dragging james bond to the ends of the earth and he's he's on mm-hmm. his last leg trying to stop the, the the missiles from spreading the virus or whatever it you know Equally it's, it's brilliant it's very it's <laughs> like yes it's i mean it's also very good uh but this is you know jerry Maguire quits his job or he gets fired and um dorothy uh his his love interest is like you know what i'm gonna go with you uh, and so she quits and so, and she's got a young son. So, you know, there's a lot riding on this being successful for her. Uh, all of that. And, uh, you've also got, uh, the sports, the, the football player, the wide receiver that, uh, Jerry is representing, who is kind of the only one who sticks with him. Um, he is basically trying to figure out how to kind of launch into stardom and, and get this big contract with the, cardinals and like do all this stuff so all the characters are like so close to feeling hopeless uh and kind of just keep pushing through it and surviving through the doldrums of life and uh, you know the the downturns and struggles and everything and it was a really gripping movie uh in a way that uh, anytime I can watch a movie and it totally catches me and I'm watching on TV uh, and I, I get that same experience of being in a movie theater and totally being immersed and like not thinking about anything else for two hours, yeah. <laughs> just being like, Oh, I'm, I'm in this. Like, I want to know what happens to these characters. This is totally uh, kind of pulled me in and I'm not thinking about anything else going on in my life right now. Right. Uh, anytime that happens, it's, it's a success. And I definitely think that happened with this movie and it was a very enjoyable time. I would highly recommend it. I think it's a little bit different than I was expecting, and that was neat, and I was glad to have watched it. Now, I've never, actually never seen that, so that's that's cool. I need to get there. I will say uh, I did watch it with the intention of being like, oh, let's watch kind of a, a romantic movie mm-hmm. uh, with, with my wife, and she fell asleep very early <laughs> on. Maybe not early on, but fell asleep at some point, uh, because it really is more... <laughs> 
there's there's definitely a romance and it's a very strong uh strong well done kind of approach to that uh and how the characters are feeling and like again very kind of human emotions uh that i think are handled in a better way than a lot of movies do and kind of the normal standard hollywood approach to romances um but it is also very much about sports and <laughs> being a being a sports agent and gotcha uh you know following how this guy is doing as an athlete and like it, so uh, that was a component that i was not expecting and kind of worked for me but obviously it will not work for everyone so good to where know. does it rank in your cameron crow filmography i don't know i don't have i you've shown me i'll show you vanilla sky and almost famous I think I don't know if I've seen any others of his. Has he done anything else? Crazy? Am I forgetting any big? Not really of note. Hits? The uh, I mean, the other one was Aloha, where. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we we don't we don't talk about Aloha. Sure. Um. Yeah. Which is my new hit song coming out sometime this <laughs> year. We don't <laughs> talk about Aloha. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say. I don't know because I need to rewatch Almost Famous, and then at that point I'm just ranking Vanilla Sky and Jerry Maguire, and I have to put Vanilla Sky first because you will kill me otherwise. So, correct. I'd... I don't know. I'd say it's close. I think they're both they're both pretty good. I'd, I'd probably go Vanilla Sky on its own merits, but could be convinced either way. You must do what you feel is right. Unless Alex. it conflicts with what I say. Sure. <laughs> Alex, what you got? Uh, D- Deadwood. I've got three <laughs> episodes left in the movie. Uh, yeah, Deadwood. Okay. That's a... How... I I feel like it's rare that you have a recommendation that runs this many weeks in a row. Yeah. Especially considering how quickly you got through Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Life happens. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> TV happens, you know. I, I, I Ga- garden's I keep, not I gonna keep... till itself. Look, okay. If you really want me to break this down, they they re-released Goldeneye. Finally, it's not mm-hmm. an HD remaster like everyone actually wanted, mm-hmm. but you know, I'll take what I can get, and I've been trying to work through that. Double O Agent is an extremely hard difficulty, and especially if you're trying to do a speed run to get all the achievements, it's ridiculous. Okay, Tyler. Yeah, Tyler. Well, I already did all of the. <laughs> so I, I did that I while I got. It's it. actually, it's actually pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't. I, I speed don't really ran it while my kid yeah. was watching Good Dinosaur. You know, t- Tyler's <laughs> always been much more of the Nintendo fan uh, uh, compared to myself. So of course he he had the N sixty four and was just playing Goldeneye yeah, yeah. all the time. Just. Yeah hundreds if not thousands of hours on, well on that one, game. once again alex sounds like tyler can do what nintendo don't <laughs> well i only or wait it, that's actually not true because i think of the the n64 is really the uh the john the baptist to game cubes jesus so <laughs> so i can't i can't really <laughs> you know I can't, I can't care to, care to add on any other game systems to that analogy? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> PlayStation. Wait, which, uh, what is Judas? Oh, the Wii U. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's <laughs> no well maybe not they're i guess all, it would have to be the, all the playstation yeah. 2 probably oh no the psp Let's cast consoles as Bible characters on next week's episode. <laughs> Sega Saturn, Abraham. What? No. What was the What was the Google system? Mm, is it Stadia? Uh, Stadia. Was, it wasn't a console. It was a. I think that was like a stream a okay. service. So oh, game. Okay. So GameFly was like Mass. Yes. Okay. No, that's E3. Actually. E3 is mass. You're right. So I guess and Game- GameStop is like our our resident televangelist. Well, no, that uh, would be that's like your Todd home Howard. Church. Yeah, Todd Todd Howard is our- Todd Howard is our Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to say that on the record. <laughs> yeah, Spire of the Dragons and Apostle. Uh, it just kind of goes on from there. We were so close to getting out of this podcast, and I just—it <laughs> came to me, and I was like, "I gotta, I gotta go for this metaphor." And now, now we've—the <laughs> game we just added eight minutes. They're like the GameCube's like one of you will betray me, and Mario goes, "Not to me, <laughs> surely not to me, Lord." <laughs> oh boy. Um, okay, I don't have a movie to recommend. I'm going to recommend a band. Um, okay. which is a different vibe for me, but uh, that's what the art that I really got into this week was a band called Wolf Alice. That's hmm. Wolf, like, uh, the enemy of Star Fox, Star Wolf and Alice, like, uh, in chains or in Wonderland. Now um, to be clear, Star Wolf is spelled like Wolf the animal. W-O-L-F. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. He is an anthropomorphized okay. wolf. Um, yes. Uh, that I knew, but I, you never, you never can trust that. Nintendo. That's true. Or or can can we? <laughs> I don't know what we're saying anymore. Um, but no, Wolf Alice, they're a British band, they're a rock band. And they're not really, I don't know how to describe the music. I mean, it's like it says rock, but it's not like the kind of music that I would normally listen to, but I'm just kind of obsessed with them. Uh, like the guitar is insane and the lead singer, Ellie Rousel, is terrific. They did a cover of Wicked Game and I think that's what really kind of got me pursuing their, their larger catalog. But uh yeah, I'm just nuts about them. So I would say if you if just I mean just like look them up. But the album that I probably would say has the most hits for me is called uh, "My Love Is Cool," um, which is a good album title. Um, but I think I've gotten something from all their albums. I got like three or four that I've really been into. Um, yeah, I just really love them. So when I was thinking about like, uh, you know, I can't none of these movies that I've sort of watched. I didn't like Piranha 3D, so I'm not recommending that. Um, <laughs> But I was like, well, what have I really been into? This? Like, I, I haven't had a long, I haven't had it happen in a while where I was like, the thing I want to do now is go listen to that song. I've had like, oh, this is the music I'm listening to in the car. This is what I'm really into in my music time. But to go, I think for my my entertainment of the moment, for my pastime, I want to go listen to this band that has been Wolf Alice. So I, uh, I definitely recommend them uh, highly. I don't know. I was trying to think of like comparisons it's like the Beths maybe like they're harder than that, but also I don't want to. I, I feel weird saying they're like they're hard because I feel like that's only going to give away how square I am, <laughs> um, which I'm not ashamed <laughs> of. It's just true. <coughs> but they they have yeah. a lovely cover of "Song to the Siren." Wolf Alice, they no they do that was actually the one that was yeah I love their "Song to the Siren," 
And then on Spotify, I was just like, what else have they covered? Wicked Game. <gasps> and then I got into all this other stuff. Um, good call. I, I, yeah, that's it. Song of the Siren cover is really, really good. I'm glad you knew that because I was going to be like, I think Alex might get a, a real kick out of these these kids. Um, so, yeah. Wolf Alice, Jerry Maguire, and the Gospel of Nintendo. Does that make the Nintendo Power Magazine the Bible? It yeah yeah it does all right and i guess our our game boy (laughs) colors are our hymnals (laughs) sure and then of course (laughs) there there was radshack shadrach meshach and wario (laughs) if you want more uh (laughs) whatever the heck this this was uh you can find us online at herecomesequels.blogspot.com you can find us on twitter at h-e-t-t hct sequels <laughs> you can email us at here come the sequels at gmail.com uh, i do if i can find what i have done with my phone we swear we've done this before honest i do Scouts have honor. do have a another another meme sent by good friend joseph uh, who is the hey. only one who will deign to send us any memes um so I'll go ahead and, and get into that now. Uh, this is my famous meme description segment yes. of the podcast. Beloved. Uh, this should be a pretty quick one, but um, this is uh, this is uh, it is an image of Black Panther uh, from some point in in the the 2018 film Black Panther in front of a a sky. And I'm just kind of standing. He's kind of got his arms out. Um, I, I don't know exactly which scene it would be from, but somewhere in there. Um, but over uh, over that is a image of Robert Downey Jr. from Tropic Thunder, and uh, his his uh, very it's a it's a very satirical blackface um, kind of kind of thing going on there because he is you know supposed to be an Australian actor in Tropic Thunder who is doing you know this very problematic role. So they've taken that image and they have put that over uh, over Black Panthers helmet uh and then you know kind of the, creating the 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 gestalt of this is that it does look like robert downey jr with this uh you know kind of very offensive intentionally offensive makeup uh, is in the black panther suit uh and the caption is breaking robert downey jr uh jr not being capitalized returning to uh, that's t-o-o uh the mcu as the black panther so it's kind of a you know it's a it's a funny it's like, oh, you know, they're they're taking uh, that that fact that he he had that role and connecting the dots of, oh, you know, he was also in the MCU. Wouldn't it be funny if uh, he came back? Obviously, that would never happen. That'd be you know extremely uh, stupid, kind of offensive, and, and horrible um, for them to do something like that. But it's it's I think it's good meme fodder. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say. Seven point five out of ten meme. Okay, that's what I'm landing on with that. All right, yeah, it's pretty fair. good. It's pretty good. Step your game up, Joseph. <laughs> Send us more memes. Yeah, come on, y- y'all. At um, least eight out of ten. <laughs> send us yes, preferably eight out of ten or above memes. Uh, <laughs> send them, and I will read them. Uh, and we will also uh. We we also this is unrelated. We also like five star reviews. It says give us five yeah. star reviews. <laughs> Throw one of those on there. Throw Do five. a five star review on your podcast place of choice. 
so you can support uh, all your favorite all your favorite bits like the meme description segment. Yeah, please do. You really know, Tali, you stretched this episode about 15 minutes, <laughs> so right about now is the time that Leonard would be forgetting. <laughs> there We're, you go. We are, we, I circled it back. That's a podcast. I've been Alex. <laughs> <coughs> I've been Tyler. Uh, I've been Britain, and the wisdom of Solomon was when you could take the Switch apart and have two controllers. You're having a good night. <laughs>